I'm Hilary Naughton. Welcome to the Uprint Podcast. It's time to remember your power and become the architect of your reality. Join me as we explore the art of intentional co-creation. We delve into the science and the magic. Hear expansive stories from entrepreneurs and creatives around the world who channeled their ideas and inspiration into real life by following their passions and staying true to their inner guidance. My intention is to empower you to act on your desires and live a life in vibrant color. Thanks for tuning in. Now we vibe. Good day and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. This is a special episode for a couple of reasons. First, we have our very first chef and restaurateur, Darren Robertson from Three Blue Ducks on. Their location at the farm in Byron Bay, just down the road from my house, is one of the most iconic restaurants in Australia. And it's also episode 21. And you might be like, who cares? What, like episode 21, what does that even mean? Well, apparently in the podcast world, episode 21 is a milestone of sorts. There's this statistic that my sister sent me when I was first starting out. And it says 90% of podcasts don't get past episode three. So that's 1.8 million who quit. Of the 200,000 left, 90% will quit after 20 episodes. So that's another 180,000 gone. So to be in the top 1% of podcasts in the world, you only need to publish 21 episodes. And I remember when I was first starting out, I don't know, what was this, five months ago or so. And I thought, I saw that statistic and I thought, oh my God, how in the hell am I ever going to get to 21? Like that just seems so big. And now I'm here. I've recorded more episodes than that. And I can see that path so much more clearly. And that's in large part, large thanks to you. Uh, You know, you've been coming on this journey with me. Your support means so much. And I love checking Anchor, which is the platform that I publish onto Spotify and Apple. And And it shows where in the world everyone's tuning in from. And it's just like so many different countries and it's growing every week. And I just can't thank you enough for coming on this journey with me. We've got some incredible guests coming up this year and there are so many more stories to capture and and to find. So I'm super excited to get past this milestone with you. And before I jump into a bit of a background on Darren, I wanted to talk a bit about the power of writing things down. Your goals, ideas, details on things that you want to bring in your reality. Daz coming onto the show. And so Daz, in Australia, they shorten everybody's name. So Darren's also known as Daz. If you're not from here, they, I say they as if I'm not Australian. So But like, let's say, for example, I do a lighthouse walk. It's called a lighty. If you want to call an electrician, he's called a sparky. My local grocer, when I lived in a different part of Byron, was called Baz and Shaz. So after the owners. (laughs) So there's Baz, Shaz, and Daz. So just to give you a little bit, I love it. I love the way Australians talk. So when I say Daz and Darren, they're kind of interchangeable, but Back to my original point, Daz coming on the show is the result of me writing the Three Blue Ducks founder on my dream guest list. And that was when I was, you know, first figuring out like what I wanted to do with the um with the different guests that I wanted to come on when this when the show wasn't even like when it wasn't completely baked. 
And then I forgot about it until the episode with Scott Tullock aired from Farmer Joe. And I woke up in the morning and Daz had started following me and commented on the reel of Scott's because they're mates. And I was like, okay, if there's ever a chance for me to ask, now would be the time to strike while the iron's hot. But had I not put that, had I not written that down, it it might not have come about in that way. And you've really got to put the intention out into the ether, the universe, whatever it is that you want to call it. And my belief is that the act of writing down your intentions sends a frequency out. Imagine it like waves coming off of the words that you write, and it helps bring that idea to life. So how do you start with a list if you've never done one? Let's go with the example of maybe what you want to do for work or how you'd like to make money, because that's most people kind of what they, they focus on. And right now you're in a position where maybe you hate your job, you've got a long commute, you work with people that are a bit lame. Here are some things that I'd put on my list. I'd start with how I want to feel at work. I want to work with inspiring people that are honest and make me laugh. I want to have fun at work. Write down your ideal pay, the number of hours that you want to work, the proximity to your house if you hate the commute. So maybe you only want to drive 30 minutes max. So so on your list, you put 30 minutes or less from my house. If you want your work to be energizing, where maybe you're working amongst nature in some way, write that down. Write down the type of clients you want to work with, the work-life balance you want. Maybe you want to be able to pick up your son or daughter from school so you can take them to soccer practice every day or take them to footy practice every day. Write that down. If you only want to work a certain number of hours per week, it's important to write down what your peers and your boss or the head of the company, or if you're starting your own company, that's a totally different thing. But think about all of the factors that influence your day-to-day life in the role you have now, things that you would like to change, and make sure you write it from a positive slant. So if you want your boss to not be a total dick, (laughs) then you can say, I want a boss who is easy to be around, who is uplifting, supportive, who is like go with the flow, who is, you know, you get the idea. Don't write, I don't want them to be an asshole. So if you imagine your perfect working day, write down those feelings, even like what you see and taste and smell, bring in all those senses. And it really starts to bring that to life. And you can even feel it in your body, like feel it right now. If you're, if you're imagining your perfect day at work, just like your whole frequency starts to shift. So hot tip, lists are where it's at. Whenever I'm going to create something new or have an idea, I always write it down. So back to Darren Robertson, also known as, as Daz, we're going to go back to his upbringing in England and how he got into the chef world and how he eventually found the the guys from Three Blue Ducks at the farm. And it's so funny because the farm in Byron Bay was always a must-do on my list when we'd visit Byron when we were still living in Melbourne and I was dreaming about moving here. And again, this was this was pre-COVID. So it was like such a pipe dream dream living up here because it wasn't like this um like remote working environment, which dads will also talk about. And 
I've spoken about it before, but getting into the energy of the place you want to be is a huge piece of intentional creation. Before I moved here, I'd walk the beaches of Byron and say to myself, I live here, I'd live here. I'd go to the farm actually and have a coffee, breakfast, dinner, they have amazing barbecue, and be on a blanket with my first daughter, Isla, and just be mesmerized by the natural beauty there. Never imagining I'd have a podcast where I'd be interviewing one of the founders of the restaurant there. Someone who whose face is on the front of so many of their cookbooks. And it's just having having Daz here in the studio recording, I was just like, this is such a pinch me moment, you know, seeing someone that you that you've only known from like the TV or from cookbooks, and then they're like sitting in front of you. So it was a very cool moment. And Going back to the first location that Three Blue Ducks opened, you know, a friend of mine lived in Bronte at the time, which is this beautiful beachside suburb of Sydney. And she said the cafe was like anything being done at the time. And dads will talk about it, but there were chickens in the back, gorgeous food. They're pioneering this fresh farm to table concept in Australia using really high end fresh ingredients. And When I was reading up on Daz and Three Blue Ducks, I I read this quote from one of the other chef founders where he said, it's almost become a joke what we pay for bacon. Free range bacon is not that easy and it's so expensive, but we're not going to get bacon from pigs that have been brought up on concrete. So there's this ethical thread that weaves through their story and Daz is a a chef that is such a passionate advocate of farm-to-table cooking, and he champions sustainability and using ethically farmed produce, which he'll talk about. But he he trained in the UK under acclaimed chef Mark Raffon at the Michelin-starred Grave Time Manor. He moved to Australia in 2001, where his skills were further honed at Tetsuya's, which he'll talk about, where he rose to the position of head chef. And at the time, the restaurant held three chef hats and was voted fifth best restaurant in the world. And he'll talk about it, but chef hats are Australia's version of Michelin stars, just to make it easy. In 2012 is when Daz joined forces with the guys at Three Blue Ducks. And he's he's been on almost every major cooking show in Australia. He's written cookbooks. He writes for Delicious. And he talks about it. He has this incredible partner, Magdalena Rose, who is a total baddie on her own. And he talks about how they met, their shared love of cooking, and so much more. I love this episode for for a million reasons. But really, we talk about the importance of gratitude and Daz will talk about when he started out at farmer's markets and he was kind of figuring out what his style and his vibe was going to be after leaving these iconic restaurants under these other these other chefs. And he talks about going with your gut and leading with creativity. And you can really hear the joy and the passion in his stories. And it's almost like bringing this childlike curiosity and imagination to food. And he talks about enjoying the in the journey and ooh, at the end, this is so good. At the end, he even adds in a bit of the supernatural, which I'm totally here for all day. So you know the drill. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and I will catch you on the other side. Welcome to the show. Today I have a very special guest, our first chef and restaurateur, Daz 
from Three Blue Ducks. Welcome. Thanks very much. Lovely to be here. Uh, this is actually like a pretty big, I don't know if I'd say manifestation or just pop you popping into my awareness. When I started the podcast, I made a list of my like dream guests and my local is the farm uh, and just down the road and you were on the list. And oh, then yeah. I swear, <laughs> yes. Well, I said whoever started Three Blue Ducks. I didn't know who, who it was, was on then. the list? Um, the Jai. Dalai, the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama. <laughs> <laughs> the Prime Minister. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Who else? Larry David. Yeah, Larry yeah. David. Exactly. No, wow, what, a, what an honor. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's been so funny. Like, they're on my list. Part of the reason I started it here was because I met so many interesting people all the time. As mm. you would know, living uh-huh. here, there's just... Yeah. So many interesting people. And um, I was like, whoever started Three Blue Ducks must have like a really cool vibe going on. So I just need to figure that out. But I didn't put a lot of intention into it. And then lo and behold, a few weeks ago, you popped up and I was like, boom, here's my chance. So and here we are. Here we are. It's just the intention of writing something down and then yeah. it just pops into your awareness. So thank you for coming on today. Um, That's right. I love to hear about your story and just we always start in the same way just to give the listeners a bit of a bit of an idea of how you grew up where you grew up what was modeled to you when you were a child and what you yeah. thought was possible because the life you have now is so big yeah yeah like wh- what was it like growing up uh it was all right i was so I'm from um kent a little town called deal in the southeast of england and we grew up on a little it was pretty humble beginnings i grew up, grew up on a council estate my my mum looked after my sister and i uh dad sort of went away they broke up when i was about five so we'd see him every few years and he became unfortunately like a bit of a made every mistake in the book um but mum was cool just a workaholic had a, always had a couple of jobs night shifts and whatnot um but she uh, you know which she obviously steered us in the right direction because i ended up doing this which is which is you know which has gone okay hospital has served me very well and my sister's a um a doctor of psychology Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so incredibly educated, <laughs> yes. uh, far more than myself. Um, so whatever it is she did seemed to have worked. But, I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I had a pretty cool childhood. Um, yeah, it was sort of mum did the best she could for us. Um, but, yeah, I, I, obviously I could have been that great because I did choose to move on the other side of the planet. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you didn't go back. As early as possible. So, um but no, I've no complaints. I, I had a great time. And I'm still really close to my sister and, and my mum. Like, I'll call them once a week. My sister's got a couple of um, a twin boys. She's, she's been at me a few times. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Are they all surprised that you're, like, not in a gutter somewhere? Are they just, like, cool, like, you really did the damn thing? Or what are their thoughts on what you've accomplished? Um, I, I think my mum's quite proud. Yeah. I think she's very proud of me that I just um, didn't, you know, most of my mates, yeah, we, we were sort of, it was a pretty, it was a pretty sketchy area, I suppose. And I, went, I actually went back a few years ago, and one of my best friends was still on the green that I used to kick around with. We'd all just play football every night, soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, and Paul Baldwin's name is. He was such a lovely guy, but you know, he's still there. And you just see, like, you know, some of my mates have unfortunately like passed away or just, yeah. So it was, um, it was interesting. It's like, oh shit, like this, this, it could have so easily been like this. Um, so I think she's really stoked that I kind of made the decision to, I really took the cooking game quite serious. Uh, so yeah, I think she's really happy, but I, I don't, I, I, I came to Australia to work for a guy called Tetsu Iwakuda, which at the time was probably the best restaurant in Australia. Okay. And, um, 
and I just think for ages she just thought it was some daggy. I think she just thought it was a Chinese restaurant, so <laughs> like sort of Asian and exotic. And she'd yeah. always say Tetsui's for ages. She had no idea. And then when she came out here the first time, and I took her to Tetsui's, and it was just like, you know, it's, it's pretty spectacular. Oh, spectacular. And she's like, oh my God, you've been doing this. <laughs> you haven't been working at yeah, just man. like a little daggy shop. <laughs> <laughs> but and she said, she's been my biggest fan. Like she'll always. You know, if ever I, you know, if we first time we got on TV that aired in England, she'd just like, you know, watch it, you know, record it on video and watch it over again. She was just, you know, I go home, she's got like, you know, every little magazine and little clipping and stuff. And it's, it's very cute. That is cute. Yeah. Well, and so being in England, then you, something you talked about with your friend that was still kind of on the pitch, just kicking the, kicking the ball around. I'm well, imagining. Is he that wasn't kind of- now. No, he just, he's actually just, he was a landscape gardener now, which is what his dad used to be. So he just, he was, you know, a bit, obviously a bit tubbier and. Okay. Uh, yeah just doing is like the thing in your, like your hometown. So yeah. what do you think it was about you that, that had you kind of get out and want to explore the world and get to Australia? Like what was that inside of you? Well, it happened through food. Okay. I just, um, I was, so I was, long story short, I was studying art and design. I was, I was pretty creative and really into just drawing and stuff. And, um, and I, did, I did really well at school with, with art and design. I got distinctions. It was a t- choice between um, art school or I was, I was in a, um, a, a pretty naff, little restaurant to be honest but it was the best place in town and um the chef the head chef um, lent me this book called white heat which was very influential it was by marco pierre white which inspired many people of my generation and i remember he lent it me because it had it was quite cutting edge with regards to the photography okay we the first to use a, a kind of grainy black and white really raw kind of uh presentation of, of a kitchen life and i was just drawn to that and there was this guy Mark here White back then it was just this rock star chef I suppose still is long hair smoking cigarettes and it was just like such a polar opposite to the stereotypical like clean cut starch apron and chef's hat things that we're sort of used to I was like oh that's that's really cool and um something just clicks I was like I want to do that I want to just like I just saw being able to cook as instant independence whereas Truth be told, I thought if I go to art school, I'd still be dependent on my family, on mum, you know, with regards to finances. And, and I'd sort of, that just didn't really appeal that much. So that was it. So I just, and I thought, well, if I'm going to give this a crack, I want to take it as far as, as possible. And so I, the kitchen I'd worked in was terrible. It was just like, it was, it was horrible, horrible. <laughs> and what kind of food was that? Uh, so, I, well, to be honest, at the time, everything was a derivative of French cuisine. Okay. In England. Yeah. You know, it was all this bloodline of, um, I suppose, yeah, Marco, Gordon, the Rue brothers, the Gavroche. And it was just such close connection. This isn't like what it is today. And certainly wasn't like Australia's like sort of melting pot of, you know, Japanese, Chinese, Italian. It just wasn't that. Um, so it was, so I suppose it was French, you, you would say. But okay. lots of seafood, you know, beautiful, beautiful produce like Dover soles scallops and place and like we were, it was very in hindsight quite sport with regards to what we get our hands on but just the kitchen culture was very old-fashioned like it was just a bit of bullying and like I was quite you know, I'm still quite tall obviously and the head chef was short and he's just like oh, oh no he had Napoleon <laughs> syndrome <laughs> was such a horrible man and so I but I just gritted my teeth I mean I'd go home I'd be crying quite often just like oh my god like actually just, crying yeah because you know as a kid you, you know you come out of school it's such a shock to the system. And then you're working and it was, you know, it was a, it was a wild west back then. Very, very long hours. It was that cliche chef life. I was going to say like, take us back. So that's like, you're working what, like yeah, so you start at what time and at what time? I can't remember what time, but it would have been, 
I was I think I was clocking about it was at least 80 hours a week. 80. Uh, yeah, that was that was but that was quite standard. Okay. Um and I remember I'd have one day off, I'd go to college like day I think the day release back then was Thanet Tech. And so I'd study on my other day off, I'd have one day off and I I remember I was earning 60 pounds a week. <laughs> and I think I had to give my mum 20 pounds for board. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so you're making like slave wages. But no, but that said, it was back then. We're talking like a gazillion years no, ago. No, but like, we're buy, like, you could probably buy a house right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it wasn't a massive sob story. I don't really care about the money, but yeah. um, it was just more the existence. It was just like, so pretty much the day I became qualified, I left and um, worked in a couple of um, pretty good places around Kent and Sussex. Mm-hmm. And I worked at a place called, I, I ended up going to a place called Gravetime Manor. And I took over Marcus Waring, who was Gordon Ramsay's sous chef, had just left. So I moved into his caravan. And it was live on site. There's a big hole in the floor. But it was an amazing experience. And I met the, the, the owner of the property, this old English gentleman uh, called Mr. Herbert. And he sat me down, as he did with most of the staff. He said, look, if you can stay here for two years, I'll get you in any kitchen in the world. And I stayed there for three and a half. I worked up to sous chef. And then he, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm probably now the time to leave. And so he sat me down and said, okay, where do you want to work? And at the time, um, French Laundry was number one, Thomas Keller in the Napa Valley. Yeah. And I'd worked with a lot of Australians too. Um, And they were always talking about like Tetsuya, Neil Perry, it's kind of like Sydney. Um, And so that was it. So I said, okay, either Thomas or or Tets. And he literally made a call and I was on a plane within three months with a backpack. I think he had two grand. He had to have two grand in your account, maybe three at the time to come into the country and work. Yeah. And I did a little trial, scrubbed oysters, you know, picked lettuce, and I stayed there for eight years. Wow, you became head chef there, right? I worked up, yeah, I, I worked my way through and uh, I became head chef. I was gonna, I should have left like after five years, you're like, okay, I've, I've done, like that's, but then I got promoted and I'm like, well, if I'm gonna sort of really walk away with any respect, I wanna stay for three years. And so, and then that became really interesting. I became, you know, you sort of became, his right-hand man, I suppose. So I traveled the world and did all sorts of like Taste of Tokyo. I did Charlie Trotter's 20th anniversary. And there was like, in my, you might not have heard of these people, but it's like Herve Tees for Ranadria. Um, just like the Keller. biggest people. Yeah, just like the biggest names. And you'd go and submit, you know, go and do one dish. And then you'd go to a house, you know, I remember going to his, his house party the day before. And there was, um, who was there? I forget all the names now. The Wally Dufresne from WD50 was doing the, the canapes. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty special. Like it was unbelievable. Like pinch me moment. Well, it's pinch me, but also it's funny. It's like such a, and I look back now with a little bit of regret to be honest, because you just, you're, you're not really in the moment. Cause I'm thinking, even though you're these crazy, amazing, um, I suppose uh, events, I'm just thinking, okay, I just got to make sure is the crap going to be okay? Are we going to have enough? I've got to do this. Tomorrow we've got to do that. And if that goes wrong, you know, like there's, there's so much pressure in that world. I really try now, like now, because we do some really interesting things now, but I just, and always stop me yourself. I think it's quite common trait in us bloody humans where you're just always thinking about tomorrow or next year or, or you know, sort of wishing life away or thinking back. You're never quite in that moment. And I remember, actually, Harold McGee was there and he wrote The Science of Food and Cooking, like really influential people. And just, I remember just chatting to him. But I remember th- just thinking about, I was just running, you'd have, I just have like maison plastics, you call them in the game. So it's just a list of things you had to do or store or make the next day. And I just had always these things going through my head, just to, just to make sure 
I was sort of one step ahead, just making sure it was all going to be okay during service. Yeah. So you couldn't and, really and, sit and save and, the and moment. And so no, and I think, oh, I just, you know, it was such a great time, but you know, it looks amazing. And it, like on paper, that should be like the first chef. It'd be like playing on a football pitch with Pele and Maradona and, okay, yeah. you know, but you're just thinking, oh shit. <laughs> so, um, so I, I really, ch I try and change that now. So the stuff that comes up that's really, you know, interesting or not, just go, all right, cool. This is, hey, how lucky are we? Yeah. You know, um, when I find that too, just living in this area, that there's just so much natural beauty. There's so much around us that is just like mother nature on steroids, meeting interesting people that yeah. I find that even just in every day. I don't know. Do you wake up? I know you said you don't live far from here, but I don't want to put it on the podcast where you live. But do you just <laughs> kind of look around and ever think like, God, like just the even just being so present in your natural environment, like oh, living I here. I, is, I don't take any of this for granted. Yeah, me neither. Like, I'll never forget where I'm from. And, um, yeah, I remember when we first moved up here, I rented this, we actually lived in Tiagra and I rented this house and it was so over the top. And to make it, because Mags gave up basically a career. She had an amazing sort of job in TV and, you know, she's doing really well. And she basically gave it all up when we opened the ducks on the farm. Wow. And so I was like, you know, we're going to do this thing. It's in Byron. And she was completely 100%, 100% behind it. So to make it really easy to like friends and family to visit, we rented out this like completely over the top. I think it was like six, five or six bedrooms. <laughs> it was like Scarface's house. Yeah, and it was nice. like super 80s, really naff. But it was before like Byron went crazy. So you could rent something that was same price as our little two bedroom unit in Sydney. Like it was just nuts. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. just didn't make sense. It was sense. more affordable. Didn't make yeah. sense, yeah. And I just remember this I, she, she, I think Max or someone was this empty house. And I just remember going outside and this huge swimming pool. And I was like, oh, like look, holy shit, how did this happen to a gronk like you? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I still do. Like, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so appreciative. And, and, and it, you know, I'll often speak to friends and family about, like, I've got, you know, uh, it's a small world. Hospitals are a very small world. So you, you often you're checking on other people uh, around the world, certainly through like pandemics and stuff. And so talking to like my sister, you know, back home in the UK, and, you know, things we moan about as Australians, like we've had it the last few days. Oh, God, it's so hot, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, been so it's sunny like lately. <laughs> the bluest sky. And like, just like people give their right arm for this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, yeah, yeah, it is hot, but it's like, like this, is, this is nuts. This is gorgeous. We just jump in the river. And yeah, I am literally, I'm, I'm so appreciative of the life we have. Um, and of course, you all have your, your stresses and stress. It's all in perspective. Stress is strange, worries. Everyone does. Yeah. Um, but I always, it's, I do constantly remind us, myself and, and Mags, it's like, look, come on, look, you know, look at where we are. Uh, um, or she'll remind me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so beautiful. And I think that part of the reason some of the listeners tune in is because they want to learn more about intentional creation and kind of how to create a life that you love. Yeah. And one of the easiest hacks I've found is just to be super grateful in the moment mm. for what you have. And that just changes your whole energy. It brings more of what you want to you. And it just, it shifts yeah. how other people around you relate to you as well. Yeah. So I love all of that. So, yeah. all right. So you're in Australia, you're working at Tetsuya, say yes. that right? Yeah. And it's going really well. And then you meet, when do you meet the three blue ducks guys? Because I know you, you talk about meeting them in the surf, but was that yeah. actually how that happened? No, so basically I actually used to work with, so the three guys that started it, so it's Sam Reed, Chris Sorrell, and Mark LeBroy. And mm -hmm. they started this little, the cafe. And they, it was running for probably 
about nine or 10 months before my, I came on the scene and my other business partner, Jeff, at the time. And this is and in so, Bronte. This is Bronte. So I used to work with Marky back in the day and Mark was just a chef de party, sort of a mid-level chef uh, at Tetsuya's. But we really connected for some reason. So he came and we, he was just... He was just like the adventure. He was the fun guy to me. He was like really adventurous and like he would super, absolutely corrupt me. This like, you know, dude from Kent. And, you know, I just, I've just spent my most of the, I've, I feel like my life is like school and then just kitchens. Okay. And that's not to get the violins out. I was my choice. And, and it was just, I bit, missed out on a lot of stuff. Like a lot of my friends would go out and party and do whatever you do, you know, when you're 20. And I was just, I was, I was just working and just, just trying to like learn. Um, and so Mark was like, okay, we'd go to like the ski fields on the weekends and like, you know, drive down to, you know, like Falls Creek and stuff and, and then come back and work on the Monday, like after literally having about six hours sleep. <laughs> and it, all, it took me spear fishing. He was just always doing cool stuff, but he left. He left, I think maybe he did a year there and then like left, traveled the world, just doing Mark stuff like snowboarding. And, um, but he'd always come back and visit and just, you know, just keep tabs on each other. Like certain people you just do, you yeah. know, it's just worth the friendship is worth investing in. And um, so I, I left Tets after eight years and I wasn't, I had no idea what I was going to do. Firstly, I was on a very, very good wicket. I was, um, and it, and also it, it, it was my identity. Like I was the head chef of Tetsuya's. That was like, I was just known for that. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a jump of, a bit of a leap of faith leaving there anyway. But I gave him a year's notice. And then um, I thought I was just, I'd just travel around and try and get some inspiration. So I went to Spain you know, London, New York, Copenhagen. And um, I decided to do just pop-ups just before they, you know, they weren't really a thing back then. Yeah. So I was just doing... What uh, year was this? Oh, Ish. Sorry. Uh, so if I was, it was about 2008 or nine. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, and then, so I, that was it. So I was just doing pop-ups in interesting spaces. I, I had a couple of stores at farmer's markets at Bondi and Piermont. So I'd basically go to visit farms on my, in the midweek buy up their produce, take it home, cook it in my kitchenette, and then go and serve it to the public at the weekend. Oh, wow. Sort of try and forge these relationships with farmers. It was really cool. It taught me so much about, built a little website. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah, I bought webs built uh, like a WordPress website. Okay. Got into MailChimp, had subscribership. Um, and it just taught me about marketing as well. Like I had my first stall, I had no sign. And then someone gave me a piece of A4 and a biro. And so I put, Whole pork buns, <laughs> rare pork, organic rolls, you know, kohlrabi slaw. I think it's $14. And that's my sign. That was your sign. And that's, right. that was week one. Yeah, yeah. So you okay. Go, oh, okay, so I need to start thinking about this now. So yeah. it just, like, it taught me everything. It was such an honest way to learn the fundamentals of business. And then you go, I've spent this much on ingredients. I've got two staff. I've paid this much for rent. You know, it just, it was, it was so good for me because yeah. if you work for big restaurants, there's HR managers. There's there's something for everything. So really all you have to focus on, and that's great as well, is just the food. Yeah. As long as I can make sure this is perfect or delicious, you know, the cogs are okay and I've got my roster. You know, there's just less thing, there's less moving parts. Oh yeah. And so anyway, I, long, I was doing that, but um, as a fun element, I was doing pop-ups in and collaborations in other, you know, like flower shops or art galleries or whatever. And so they, Marky was running the ducks and they were just doing breakfasts and it got, it was really good. It, they, they won breakfast of the year in Sydney in their first year. Wow. And for our non-Australian listeners, <clears throat> breakfast in Australia is a thing. Well, like it, breakfast it, here it, is. It, it, look, it is now. But back then, to be was honest. Was it not? Well, no. There was only really, there was, I reckon like Bill Granger was one of, one of the first to okay. actually. So 
to give it some sort of legitimacy where people would go and actually, you know, spend over twenty dollars on a breakfast. Yeah. And, you know, and and he was doing, and he was only doing like sort of scrambled eggs or you know pancakes and stuff. But it had a bit of a following. But there weren't many restaurants that were. But it was. I don't think there were that many. It was cafes that were serious about their food really i always yeah. thought this was an australian thing no it, I, I think it's only really come about in the last certain last decade or so okay so it, and if you were a chef there were chef restaurant chefs and there were cafe chefs and there was a real snobbery so you know we really looked down on those, those guys <laughs> in cafes yeah. or clubs you know rsls and then you know if you had like certainly if you're a three hat chef oh my god you were just like you know yeah yeah and so i did a pop-up at the ducks and we turned this cafe into like basically we did this like degas um, like a degustation menu we had it printed on organic cotton and it was a bit of a piss take to me i was like a lot of the descriptions were like you know a bed of this cascading over da, 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 da. and it was just like super over top but we had like music cranked up stuff we want to listen to and really good food and it just something just gelled and it went so well and so i remember mark i went there for coffee the next day as i always did and, and he just said to me do you, do you want to hang around a bit more and it was that loose and i remember i had this i had uh, this sort of big business chat with all the other owners and so it was four of them at the time and i think i, I can't remember now, i think i invested maybe 20 grand maybe 25 grand okay <laughs> to become an equal owner oh with your blue ducks yeah, yeah oh yeah. my god yeah, that's yeah. it yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my I mean, god! That, it just—it didn't like. It wasn't. And still now, like money is is never. Obviously, you need to pay your bills and like bottom line, but it was never ever motivation. Yeah, it really isn't. It's like what you know, and they—I love them to bits. They're all they like that. You know, we've got kids and we've got an older and grayer and stuff. But fundamentally, they still they are. I love them, and it's it is like a marriage. Like so, you definitely certainly with me and Mark, we've had so many biffos over the years, but we're both really passionate. But I, you know, I still want to be having beers and stuff with these guys when I'm 80. Like, I don't think any of us are ever going to want to retire from this industry. I, I love it to bits. Like, I want to be like the Brookies. You see that couple and they're so interested in what's going on. Like, I've seen them like openings and talks and it's like, that's what I want. I, 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 you know what I mean? So anyway, um, so I invested my billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Your life savings. And, um, and then, yeah, and much to the sort of, surprise of, of the industry because there was a lot of there was a lot because I've where I'd worked for Tets and he's got a really in, in, a, impeccable reputation the amount of offers and money I was getting which is it was it was nuts it was crazy and how does that work like so for us non-restaurateur non-chefs did the does someone like a, a group of investors come to you and say hey we want to open this restaurant and we want you to be the face of it like yeah well how does that work yeah the, pretty much okay yeah, you would get um yeah, you get a call or an email, and it, it could be that. It could be a group, it could be a hotel group, it could be just someone developing a particular area and just and just throwing money at you, you know. And it's a bit of a trap sometimes. It's like Barangaroo was just coming out. Actually, before that, it was Barangaroo in Westfield. And so just people offering you spaces, and let's like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for it. We'll just, you know, you just we pay pay us back in, in the rent. Oh. And so you, and it's it's just, it's not, and sometimes it's, you know, it's great it goes well but it's really dangerous as well because it's all of your savings and you really want that first one to work you know and it's just um it, it does and, and it doesn't always because you've got these new spaces it's a risk you yeah. know, sometimes they click and 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 often they don't but um but yeah i was getting many opportunities and, and other groups that are established and it's just to go and run other people's restaurants whether it's here or overseas but for some reason i just i i really i felt I just went in my gut and I was like, I think I really feel like this is, I just want to hang here. And, and, and 
the guys were, you know, they were, yeah, they were all surfers, but serious about what they were doing. We had this little kitchen garden at the back. Mark's brother was really into per permaculture at the time and just exposing us to what you could do with regards to growing food, to, to you know, composting, minimalizing waste. We had a few chickens and bees. And, and then, so we got into like growing stuff and, and, and also and I, sustainability, so the term sustainability is so overused, but that became, an, like in terms of bettering or um, minimalizing the impact we were having, because we knew that we're, restaurants and cafes are, are so wasteful. There's a lot of industries. So we were like, we were, I was probably one of the first to go to eradicate like plastic straws. And like the pushback on that, like honestly, like even like the, some of the Bronte locals, most of them are totally cool. But like, I remember, the, yeah, just, just people moaning that like the straws are soggy and it's just like, well, don't have a straw then, just drink it. Yeah, <laughs> just drink it, it was, straight like, up. It's so interesting. And now it's like so much of this is like common plate, like heat cups and whatever, like, you know. We're, we're definitely not the only ones to like, we weren't the first, but we're definitely a part of this thing that was once, once fringe. And, he, and even now, sort of 10, 12 years later, we're still debating this stuff on like what else we can do, uh, but, but also to be financially sustainable too, because you, you do need to survive. Like we've got, we've gone from Christ, maybe there was eight, 10 staff and we've got about, I think we've got over 350 staff now. Wow. So it's just become this, but it's cool that like the core values really haven't changed. They've definitely evolved and we've, we've got more opportunity now to make, make a difference. Um, so yeah, so anyway, I, I just lo I love that about the partnership that that is like, none of us are driving around in Ferraris. It's just like, there's no slick ricks. Yeah. They're just like very cool with like amazing partners, really strong. Um, so yeah, and that, and that, and so despite going through some massively turbulent times, talk, talk about gratitude. Like I, I'm so grateful that I can have six, seven business, six business partners now, three of which are chefs. We've gone through floods, COVID, all of the shites that we've all had to deal with. And we still not only talk to each other, like we're really close. So that's cool. So that's really, that's, that's very fortunate. That's amazing. Well, and you talked about a few of the things, a lot of, um, not everyone that listens to the podcast knows about the floods that we had here. And obviously COVID hit everyone a little bit different, but yeah. if you're talking about adversity and kind of how you get through something like really hard times, how did you guys get through that? Um, and how well, did it definitely, impact your definitely business? a lot of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think the, it was just mate that, that was like, well, firstly the COVID COVID thing, Lots of communicating. I, basically, I'd, I'd go to work every day, whether we could open or not. And we, I was just probably, I probably did about 100 Ks of pacing around my garden with the phone glued to my ear. We were just always, I'd, we had our ops man at the chime, is now one of our partners, Paul Dewhurst, who had little hair then and he's got like a lot less now. And, um, but he was just so, if he wasn't working, he was just on Twitter, just, you know, keeping up across those updates. And, you know, you have all of these ethical debates as well and you know it's really it was a very very it was a horrible time actually i think what in in terms of what it did for society globally it was a real really divided us all you know and i felt that was it was a real shame it was just um it was quite scary to see how quickly that escalated so it's both as like you know father business owner you know with all sorts of friends from different backgrounds and beliefs and you know they, and then suddenly i'm in this place of authority where i'm like we have to make these really really difficult decisions like like this in order to preserve the business or you know or do the right thing for our staff and yeah that was you know, that was a really tricky one um and i've got to say yeah i didn't um 
I never wasn't never, <laughs> never really much of a drinker, but I did. My missus used to say, I'd go, and she'd be like, well, the taste of COVID, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the sound of COVID. Sorry. The sound of COVID. And, I, and I was just like, you know, just like, I found I was just, you know, I'd just be at home, sat on the steps, just trying to work things out, like stare into my garden, which was, by the way, pristine. The first time I've ever actually had time to like do the garden. <laughs> <laughs> it was just beautiful. <laughs> um, and, then, and, then the, and then the floods as well. And then the, strangely, as like weird as this is, it, the floods brought everyone back together. Yes. Because it was so, and it was so weird. I mean, and it, and it was sort of off the back of COVID. So you still have this, you still have an element of, of a social judgment on whichever side of the fence you were in regards to like the dirty word, the, the V word. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, and it just all went out the window. And it was so lovely to see. Like, it, it, obviously, it was horrible. Like, so many people lost everything they own. And it just put everything in perspective in terms of, like, you know, so many people just dropped everything and just went and helped whoever they could. And, and what, what a lovely thing. It just restored your faith in humanity. It was just like, no, do you know what I mean? It was just, it was just so beautiful. Um, and I think it's almost like what the community... Some, you know, some good things came out of, you know, out of really bad, horrible testing times. And I, and I think that was one of them. And that, that just, and it brought so many people closer together. Oh, it brought the whole community um, together. Yeah. So I, I think with, with us, that was, that was definitely, it was less testing for us. Like it was, it was, it was awful, but geographically, you know, like we lost a couple of, you know, my business partner lost his, lost his property and it, it was definitely, definitely horrible in that respect. Um, but COVID was far worse. That was tricky. Yeah, yeah. I remember that time. I remember going to the farm and nobody was there and just uh, there wasn't a lot of staff and we're like just kind of what no one knew what was going to be happening next. Yeah. So yeah. it was a tricky time, but um, we all got through it, which yeah. is amazing. And I think that's a, a lesson with all of it is that nothing that you're ever in is going to last forever. You know, yeah, it's just kind of how you navigate it's, it's it. Yeah, hundred percent. Like totally, you can just change like, like this. And, 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 and it still happens now. You just get news of something that just flips everything on its head. Like, okay. So you, it, it definitely, you build resilience and you, it makes you like say very grateful and less attached to a, to just, well, certainly material objects, but um, yeah. even just a, just a routine. You know, we can just all go out the window. It's like this is great, and this all will it'll pass. This will change. Like this isn't going to last. Whether it's the age of your kids, or uh, you know, a drop off, or whatever it is, it's like we've just got to make the most of this shit. This this floor won't be covered in Lego in a few years, and we'll be like, oh, I missed the Lego. <laughs> <laughs> now they're like gone with their friends. They're like, I hate you, Dad. I hate you, Mom. Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. No, everything is a bit transient. Um, well, you know, there was something that I read about you that I, I didn't know. Um, it was the the table sessions and the oh way <laughs> I would love to talk about them because the way that they're described, I'm like, I wish I was here then. That was a long yeah, time. Yeah, it was yeah. like, what, 2011? But yeah. um, it was voted the like the best event in Australia. Uh, and it was like a secret underground. Yeah. Like what, tell me about that. And how did you get inspired for that? So that, so that was after, that was like the, the kind of like the pop-ups. It was like gorilla dining. And, um, so that's gorilla dining. It's yeah. not like, you know, uh, I was imagining something really aggressive. No, it wasn't aggressive at all. Um, <laughs> so tell me what does gorilla dining mean? like trying to pay my mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> how am uh, I going to do this? Um, no, it was just, so I went to, I went to New York with a couple of chefs, Mitch Orr and Morgan McClellan. We went to, um, where did we go? I think Omnivore, New York. And we were involved in a few events. We actually just helped out. So um, Rene was there from Noma, David Kinch. Um, it was some really cool chefs and talks and various things. I remember Rene Redzepi, who 
arguably has the best restaurant in the world. He did a um, he did a talk in front of thirty people in the White Rabbit Gallery, and I just remember being one of those thirty people, and it was just really very progressive about food, what could be achieved. It was quite cutting edge, and I sort of compared it to like the Sex Pistols did a gig once, and it it, it was about 35, 40 people famously in the UK. And all of those audience members went on to do really interesting things. I think there was like a book written about it. And it was like Brian Eno was in the court audience and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So I was like very grateful to be a part. And I really felt like um, food was becoming even more interesting. And like, and, and chefs and uh, brewers and fermenting and all this. It's just what it was so fascinating to me. So I didn't want to kind of then throw it all away and just do the cliche thing and go and just open a restaurant. I thought opening a restaurant in Sydney was just like the obvious thing. So I decided just to do pop-ups and, and collaborate with other chefs and sort of interesting people. And so that was it. And so uh, I found there was an art gallery space, which was which was kind of interesting. I went, I think I did a dinner with Massimo Melli uh, when it was like the third, it was like three floors, really slippery floor. It was, in the, it, was so, <laughs> it was so hard. But the thing just packed out and we built this little kitchenette thing. And did um, just did our thing. It was so much fun. I did I did one in a little my local cafe, which was pretty terrible at the time. And I did a, a collab with actually Monty, who was ex Iceberg Berg head chefs. Okay, uh, chef. in Sydney. And, and his yeah, and his missus um, Jackie. And so we did some stuff too, which was really cool. And he he's in LA now. And how do you decide who's on the guest list? Um, Is it just what, like so? It was before Instagram. It was Twitter. I def- definitely Twitter was a thing. And I think I would just announce it on, I, th- I think it was probably word of mouth. What was it? Maybe it was a MailChimp thing. And okay. but it, they would they sell they sold out so quickly, which was really nice. I think the first one was most of my mates, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, and it, a, a lot of time just to make it, I, got, I started getting a bit lazy, so I'd, I'd have run it in like old either rundown restaurants, places that have closed. I had one at Dank Street, or places that were typically typically just little cafes, but interesting spaces. Yeah. Um, and then that's how, and that's how the pop-up with, with the ducks came about. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Maybe we can just do something really fancy in this little like Bronte Road, or, uh, McPherson Street. Um, and so that was the table sessions. So yeah, it was just collabs. And then f- around the same time we did, um, we created a thing called Toys, which is Taste of Young Sydney. Okay. And that was really, we, I, I was, a, as a collective of chefs, just felt like all the love was going to the the superpowers of our industry. So there was a few names. It was like, you know, and they are legends. Yeah. It's like, you know, Tets and Guillaume and Peter Gilmore and Neil. But the, no one had really heard of like the other chefs, the people that were, they were their head chefs that were in there, you know, doing the work as well. And so we just want, and they, there wasn't much opportunity to, for those chefs to sort of express themselves with their own rights. So we created this thing, yeah, called Taste of the Young Sydney, which is myself, Mitchell, Morgan McClone, Dan Hong, and Adrian Azimbo. And then we would just, over a gazillion beers at a pub, come up with themes. And often it was food inspired by music. Um, and you'd have, uh, yeah, like interesting soundtracks and very, very, it was, it was so much fun. Um, so I think there was one night, we had it at Morgan's restaurant the first night. And uh, I think Zimbo did this dish it was it was it was around the song like who let the dogs out okay <laughs> who let the dogs, <laughs> the dogs and it, it was served in a dog bowl and it had like a gazillion steps and then, and then we turned like the lights off and then we turned that song on like full class you could barely hear it <laughs> <laughs> wait so you'd eat the, you'd eat your food out of the dog and then bowl the guests would yeah eat their food out of the dog bowl oh more, uh, 
um, Dan Hong did one like called, I think it's called Shot in Face. It was like a sort of, um, I suppose a tribute to like Biggie Smalls. Okay. Um, Were you playing Biggie like Biggie the Smalls, yeah. And then I did, I did Feed the Birds and it was like Mary Poppins song, Feed the Birds. And it was like, I, I did a song, a, a dish called like Bird Bath, which was all just things you'd get around like little. Anyway, but um, it, look, cool. anyways, it was really fun times. Yeah. It, was, it was really cool. And it was just like, there wasn't, I felt, I felt unlike um, other cities, like certainly Chicago at the time was very collaborative. And I thought Sydney was still a little bit clicky. There was different restaurants. So there was the Rockpool guys, there was Bank, there was the Tets, and we were quite insular. And I just, I felt a lot of, and I, I suppose a lot of other chefs as well, like I think in order to make true progress and like elevate the food even further, thought it's about time we actually just had a chat to each other and shared ideas and and and, and that happened and still like happens not like it's i mean the collaboration is almost a cliche now and like who isn't there's a bloody pop-up every <laughs> weekend but um it was a really fun time and i feel that i really it, it allowed me to distill what i you know where i thought i wanted to take my own food because also cooking for someone else for for eight years everything would be a derivative of these are really famous dishes as well like the confi ocean trout or you know Spanish crab ravioli, like Tets was just, I think the dish, the confi ocean trout once upon a time was the most photographed dish on the planet. Wow. And so for me to open a restaurant, everyone's always going to, you know, I just had nothing to give. You know, I really had to explore my own cuisine because it would just be probably the confi ocean trout with, I don't know, tarragon on it instead of Yeah, yeah. So you had so to I kind of get out there. And yeah, like... you've almost got, I think you've almost, some, often you've just got to sever your ties. You see it a lot in, in my industry. Unfortunately, sadly, and it ends up really badly. It's as much as you've got, because you're always going to be under the, sh in the shadow of your, your sort of mentor, I suppose. Yeah. And and it's it, it goes so to the extreme sometimes where it's almost they you know you, you, they throw a bit of shite on there just to sort of go okay I, I don't need you now and I I think it's really important like I've always been really respectful to anyone I've worked for I feel like you're only doing your, each other an injustice if it goes sideways publicly oh yeah so um I, you know he was really good to me so I've only got really got good things to say nice well you were said before you were talking about your partner and um, Magdalena and how did you guys meet. Do you mind if I ask? Magdalena Mose. No, yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. So I met on, um, so when I left Tets, I actually was, I kind of, um, I was quite interested in, in the, uh, the, the, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to like write a book and, you know, TV, you know, the sort of TV chef thing. I was like, I'd, it's just something to tick off the book, uh, like the list, I suppose. It's like, oh my God, you know. And so um, I, I, I started to explore that a little bit. So I, I went on to Ready, Steady, Cook, <laughs> which was, I used to watch that in the UK on my split shift, actually. Well, wait, you used to watch, what's the name of it? Ready, Steady, Cook. Oh, it was like quite a cheesy okay. sort of afternoon show. And it was like, you either, you kind of, it's like shiny floor show. And you, you usually go in, there's like a studio audience and you get to cook. Someone from the audience will come. She says, oh, I've got the, you know, I've got some pasta, I've got some tomato, some pine nuts. And blah, blah. Oh, and you have to throw it you together and make something minutes to good. to do something, yeah. So I, okay. so I did it. So I think I did three episodes. And, um, and Mags was doing breakfast TV at, at the time. Okay. So it was like this celebrity um, Ready, Steady, Cook edition. So I was with Mags and her, I suppose, co-host was with, I think, some other, some other chef. I think Massimo, actually. And um, so I met her in the makeup room. Oh. Yeah. And then... Um, so then we did the show and we obviously we won. Oh. And, and, uh, and then we just, I think I, I think I stalked her actually. She was just like, because she said to me at the end, she goes, oh, I said, do you actually like to cook? She says, yeah, I do. But I, you know, I'm cooking for one. And I was like, well, if there's ever a green light. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I didn't get a number. So I, I, I um, but she, she was like, she still is a massive deal. <laughs> like, so I, I think I, she had, she had a website. And I sent a message to, I think it was info at magdalenarose.com or something like that. And said, hey, hey, I'm this, remember that? I'm that scruffy chef um, if you want to go for a drink. And about a year later, she's like, oh, God. Oh, wait. Okay. <laughs> a so, year um, later? I think it took a while. I think I stalked her on Twitter and because she was, in, I think she was in Melbourne once. I was like, oh, I'm in Melbourne too. You want to like meet for a little drinky? And um, she buckled eventually and we went out. And uh, I think it, she <laughs> My mum had come to visit actually, and she said, "Actually, yeah, I'm actually free this weekend. Do you want to, you know, meet on Friday?" And I was like, "Oh, I've just checked my mum." My mum. Oh. <laughs> she must thought, "Wow, I've landed on my feet here." Yeah. <laughs> so, wait, so you didn't go out there because your mum no, was I, there? I did actually. Oh, you I, did, okay. So I went out, and then um, and this thing never aired because her. I think the breakfast show they did, it kind of got canned before the Ready Steady uh, went live. But someone dropped the DVD on her desk at Channel 10 with a note saying for your eyes only. So we actually have the footage of when we very first met or that that hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you actually can see that chemistry because she's like, kind of like, yeah, going for the hug. and yeah, it, Like cool. the first hug ever. It would have been the first hug ever, yeah. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't have hugged her in the makeup room. Yeah. Nice. Um, that's probably the last time we hugged. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, no. Just no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was so that was nice. So then, um, and, and she lived a different life then. You know, she was... Um, She'd have to wake up every morning at 3 a.m. Talk about doing the hard yards, then going to work, you know, breakfast TV. And then I think you're almost obliged in that, that world to, you know, sort of network. So she'd kind of do all the events. She'd be like front row of fashion week. And she, you know, she, and she'd take me out to these events. And obviously, like, this kind of socially awkward, lanky chef, fish out of water. <laughs> <laughs> and so she'd, like, introduce me to all these, like, showbiz types. But it was really cool to see. Um that that world you know yeah um it was interesting well yeah. and she does food stuff now right like i was looking so max yeah, yeah it was funny because she's almost had to like recreate herself and she was even when i met her she was really into her food like loved food and wine she's still like collect wine it's like her, her um she's got family in buenos aires loves malbec okay and um so she definitely had a legit interest in it anyway and um, her parents like polish and russian so love their food their pickles their you know Pickles. That's like the thing that you remember. What else? <laughs> well, they just love their ferments. Like John legit oh, makes ferments. his own the most amazing, amazing pickles. Okay. And, and krauts. And her mum's a great cook. Okay. She'll do this like that Russian like honey cake and like she they they've it's delicious. Um so Mags was cooking, but then when she came up here, it's just it must have been quite scary because you've gone from like the, the big smoke to this Byron. And Byron is a, was a little you know, we're only talking a decade ago, but it definitely it was a risk. You know, there was only a couple of yeah, it definitely had its dining scene, but it wasn't like what it is today. With the, just with the opportunities in terms of online opportunities and podcasts and the, all this, sort oh yeah, of, all you this can do anything. Stuff where yeah, if you're in media, really, you had to live in Melbourne or Brisbane or or Sydney. And um, so yeah, so she, I think she just did a bit of soul searching for that first year, and then she was obviously cooking a lot more and got more involved in like farmers markets, and you know, we'd always go, we'd always go and check out producers and various things, see what other people were doing. And so she got inspired and, and um, yeah, started her own yeah, sort of like podcast and, and cookbook. And, and now it's just kind of exploded. She's just really like become a large part of her identity is a lot more of this food and obviously becoming a mom. And, but it's great because the, just her, the way her mind works, because she's by trade, she's a journalist. Yeah. Meteorologist actually as well. And so she really, she really gets into something. So if it's, whether it's um, 
I don't know, making a pavlova. She'll really research like on why it is, you know, an egg white reacts with sugar and, you know, the correct process and temperature. And she'll, you know, she'll make that a thousand times and well, often, and just get to know that dish inside out. And then, and she's so good at communicating that to like her readers. So it's really cool. So even though she hasn't got like the breadth of ability of a fully trained chef, the dishes that she do does know is like legit. She's got so the I'll like steal stuff off her now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll just be like throwing stuff together. Over yeah, the years. yeah. So a bit of experience is like, oh, so how much is how many grams is that? I, was like, oh, I don't know. Like it's it's got that much. Whereas she's she wants like to know grams, what percentage of salt it is. You know, I'd say something like. You know, to make kraut, like, oh, if it tastes like seawater, you're kind of pretty, pretty good. But she's like, no, no, no. So what is that? 3%. So it's great. So she's, she's created like a bit of a following and she loves, yeah, there's definitely a lot more. I think thankfully there's, there's definitely uh, a growing interest in, in certainly that grassroots cooking at home oh, yeah. for kids. I think we're a lot more, in, I don't know if because we're getting a bit older, but a lot more interested in, you know, nutrition, yeah. cook, you know, animal fats and, you know, um, so I think, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's, I think it's a good time. And will you guys ever do a collaboration? <clears throat> we do, you know, we do a little bit. Yeah, we do, we'll often do, you know, I, I um, one of my other hats is I'm co-festival director of Tasting Australia. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, so I so I do a, 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 some of that. So we'll go down there and but Mags will, she'll, she'll come tag along with the kids and she'll write um, about certain events. She'll cover stories and contribute for whether it's delicious or, you know, different print media. So yeah, we. Do, I think you. You know, I think you have to. If you were, you just have to sort of make it work. Certainly, if you're on the road a bit, you know, you just have to make it work for each other. So, so we do organically work together on, on various projects. I think it's also important to have your own identity as well, though. I think yeah. it's nice to bring home, you know, your stories and share ideas. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I think it's really it's in a healthy place now. But no, I've got some friends that, you know, some friends are chefs and they're husband or wives, the front of house, and it's you, you know, it's it's it's. It's a tough game. <laughs> like it just gets too tricky. <laughs> well, it gets tricky. You throw in a couple of kids, and you know, it's. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like our space as well. I think it's important. You know, it's, but um, but definitely, I, I you know we we do a lot. Sometimes at the moment, I just like if nothing, I like film her. Like you know, just it's gorgeous test ki- like kitchen. I suppose should become the test kitchen. So it's nice to um, you know, it's like read and uh tinker around with different produce uh, and, and and projects and see her approach and her take on something and mine and it's just it's interesting from a different lens from like a chef lens all this like this time poor you know parent yeah and i wear both those hats as well yeah but I, think, but I think it's interesting yeah yeah it is well and you've done so many different things so you've, you're an author you're a writer as well right because you write for these different publications yeah you're a chef restaurateur businessman how do you know now like you could probably the world is your oyster i'm sure you get yeah. approached for different things yeah. all the time so what do you tap into when you're trying to figure out like what's your yes you know, like, oh, this yeah. feels good. This doesn't feel good. Cause you would probably get so many opportunities now. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Like fortunately, yeah, there's loads of stuff comes up. You find yourself saying, being a lot more picky, like back in the day, you just say yes to everything. And I think certainly, I think we're all guilty of it, but certainly chefs, you sort of sell yourself short a lot. You know, you'll pretty much say, you'll do so much stuff for people to say, <laughs> This is going to be really good for your profile. And you end up doing most of the stuff for free. <laughs> and you're like, no. Nah. I still hear it now. And they're like, this is, just do it. It's for free. You're going to fly there, cook for 50 people, do, 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 do all this stuff. You know, we'll cover your cafe. <laughs> and it's like, really good for your profile. I was like, mate, I'm 46 years old. 
I do you think I really give a shit about my profile? You're like, my profile's there, mate. Yeah, I need to pay the bills, buddy. No, but of course, like, not that I'm this massive deal, but you just, um, you, so now it has to, it's, it's for different reasons. Like it always has to a couple of ticks, uh, tick a few boxes. It's either something that's going to be satisfying creatively, obviously finance is something, yeah. um, or if it's doing something that's, uh, whether it's a charity thing or something that's like going to do some good. Um, and I think, you know, so you just have to look at what, 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 why are you doing it and what, what it's, what you're achieving by it. Otherwise you just end up spreading yourself so thin, you end up begrudging saying yes to everything in the first place. So yeah, I, I think I'm a lot more picky with regards to what hat you wear or under what, I, I think for me, they're all the same, but they're just, whether it's a chef, author, writer, restaurateur, whatever, it just, I think anyone that's interested in food, I think ultimately for me, it's, it's food is the big umbrella. If someone wants to talk about the business and mistakes I've made and, you know, things I've learned, great. If they want to talk about, you know, what I feed my kids, awesome. Like, it's just it's just all the same thing. Otherwise, it gets, firstly, I'm not that, I'm not that organized where I can compartmentalize all those different topics and subtopics. It's just too, yeah, it's just too much. Just yeah. Get, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so when you're saying yes or no to something, you kind of just have like a list of like in your head, like, all right, well, this is, it'll achieve this, this, or this. But do you ever kind of just follow a gut feeling? Uh, always, yeah. And I think fun as well. Fun and adventure, I think quite quite high up, I think for all of us at the moment. It's been a bit, it's been a bit, you know, it's been tricky. Um so yeah, there's, there's, there is a list, but yeah, I think you have to, tr- I think definitely trust your gut and, and that has served me so well. And that little like, that little, oh, I've got a funny feeling there. And, so, and there's a few times where we've, we've all done this. We're like, oh, I'm just, I'll just do it anyway. But I just don't, that thing that they said. Yeah. Oh, just that. Um, I think that's where Mags is great. So it's, she's a fantastic sounding board. So I, she, and she can just see it clear as day where sometimes if you're tired, you know, if you you hit the caffeine a bit too much or and, and, and your judgment becomes blurred you know and you start going oh guys so what's because we all just want to do the right thing um and there's yeah it's been a couple of times where you just you you, you, like, oh, I w- you know i wish i had said no to this water and that how did i get <laughs> <laughs> oh, i should have God. said no <laughs> yeah but that you, you know that you hone that skill with experience and it's yeah that's that's great and with regards to business decisions recruiting staff is a huge one just going on your gut. Resumes are great, you know, but kitchens are such honest environments. You know, someone walks in, they set up a board, the way they pick up a knife, you kind of know straight away with regards to their skill if, level. If they're going to be any good. Yeah. Okay. You, skill, skill level as a chef. And just talking to someone within, I feel like you get over the years, pretty good judge of character on just the way they stand, look at you, hold themselves, what they say, what, how they, how they talk about their previous employer, perhaps where they go to eat, do they read about food? You know, there's just, you can pick up on stuff straight away. Yeah. And I, and I think that, and that's obviously, whether you work in kitchens, you're a chef business owner, that's in, in any sector, that would be really, that'd be a really useful skill. Um, Cause that can also, you know, bite you and, you know, become problematic. Definitely. Yeah. Well, if you're looking back at your career and where you came from and just 
the difference between the way you grew up in council flats and then now you're living this life in Byron Bay. This palace. <laughs> yeah. And the, you're not in a, are you, you're not in that palace still. I'm but, not in the bloody palace. Yeah. No, no, no. I left, so I just, so yeah, yes, you don't I, live in I, Tiger I, I, anymore. I, I left there after a year. But no, but, uh, yeah. but now you're here in paradise and just, I know I have these moments where the way that I grew up and where I am now, I'm like, just like pinch me moments. And it's mm. a lot of it is just, kind of following your intuition, following your creativity, following what lights you up. And it sounds like that's what you've done. Yeah. What, if you were to send a message back to yourself when you were, it could be any age, when you were kind of going through it, things were a bit just not where you wanted to be, what yeah. message would you send back to yourself and how old would you be? Um, Christ, quite young. I had, I was so, I was full of anxiety because I had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school. And it was really troubling for me because a lot of my friends, I don't know, they're just, they're, everyone sort of had a bit of a plan or, or no plan, but it was so comfortable with that. And um, so I'd probably just say that it's going to, it's going to be all right. You're going to be fine and just enjoy the journey. That's it. Right. Yeah, I think it's just very, you know, you just need to be told that sometimes. Oh, yeah. And even if it's true or not, it's just like, oh, yeah, we're going to be fine. Yeah. And it's been actually said to me a few times by different people and, you know, uh, so, and I feel that's like, my mum's really spiritual and sees clairvoyance and all sorts oh, of stuff. Oh, she does? Yeah, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. And I must, and I must, and I'm, I'm kind of like in two minds about all that stuff, but I actually saw, I saw one, I was like, it's absolute loss. And, um, funny story and I, and I saw one in Paddington and she lived behind this bookstore and she was this old, older lady and I sat in there and I wrote this down and she said all right and I just started the table sessions and she said okay love and obviously a bit you're questioning yourself and you're like oh Christ what am I doing like I'm making no money and I'm just like, <laughs> I've just booked this amazing place and now I'm just this loser <laughs> totally yes <laughs> and um and, and she said, and she just told me what I wanted to say. I mean, I'm not sure if she read the room or what, but she said, look, you, you and she actually said, she goes, look, you're in such a, you're just about to move into this amazing place with a group of friends. You're going to like start or join this business and it's going to be food. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm about the table sessions. And she said, no, 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 no. It's, it's definitely not what you're doing now. It's, it's something else. And she said to me, she's like, you just need to, you need to speak to Mark. And I remember, and I've still got this paper, no shit. She, I, and I wrote it down and then, and she said, and she kept banging and she goes, yeah, you got to. Oh, I can just feel it. You got, you got to speak to Mark. You guys are just going to do something. It's going to be. You're going to be globally known. And she kept saying she gets food, and she and and, it was, and I and I and I circled Mark, and um and she said a few other things. She, she said that, and 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 probably every every kid probably has this trait. So it's probably it's no news. But she's like, stop worrying about ending up like your father. You're so different to your dad, and you're gonna you're gonna be fine. You're, you're gonna live to a ripe old age. You, you you just you're gonna be fine. And just to hear that instilled so much confidence. You know, both that I actually thought I was doomed because I thought you know, um, chefs are kind of like I don't know, great dames. Like we don't live to a ripe old age typically. You know, we, I was from a different generation where we do the high stress, long hours. Like thankfully, it's changed now. Like my industry has changed dramatically. And it's a lot fairer and it's a lot more transparent and, th and thankfully so. Yeah. But I saw how it, you know, I sound like a bloody dinosaur, but like, <laughs> No, 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 you, you know, saw what it was. It was just, it's all yeah. it was. It was just a bit, you know, very, it was a different environment. And and probably because of that was a lot of, you know, alcohol and drugs and mental health and all sorts of stuff that really weren't addressed. And I think because of that, you know, never really ended up very happy. And so, and anyway, so to hear this, like, oh, are you going to be all right? And yeah. speak to Mark and all this sort of stuff. So I left her. And uh, 
I came out of that. And at the time I had a couple of, so my, two other really close friends called Jeremy and Mark. And Mark worked in IT. Oh, yeah, so there were two Marks, <laughs> yeah. Mark and IT. <laughs> so I called him the next day. I'm like, Mark, Mark, okay, mate, tell me, what's this idea? We're, gonna, we're sat on a gold mine. We're going to be globally known. Because I thought, I'll do the food. He'll do the online something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like He'll build an super app. smart. I still actually don't even know what he does. Something new, I still don't even know what he does to us. And he's like, mate, it's news to me. I don't know what you're talking about. And then I just left it and I forgot all about it for about at least eight or nine months. And I did this. And within that time period, I had joined the Ducks. We did some pop-ups. We've done all this sort of stuff. And then I'm like, and I was, I was living in, um, I was living just around the corner from the cafe. And I was getting some books and bits and pieces, sorting my room out. And I'd no shit. I saw it's like three bits of paper with the with Mark with all this other stuff on, I'm not sure that. But I was like, "Holy shit! How good's that?" Oh my god! Well, yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. yeah. and you. Yeah. Oh, that's an amazing story. But, yeah. So anyway, but to to have that, but whether that's true or not, she or she just did like massively just read. Well, no, like, no, no. There's no. No, no. But like, no, just. <laughs> How would she have known? I don't know. Mark? Maybe like Mark called and, them and uh, whatever no, it is. <laughs> no, you can't. I mean, you can't be that much of a skeptic. That, no, that... I'm not. I do. I, I, definitely, there's a lot of charlatans, and I do like. Of course. You know, my mum. We, we were always. My mum was always chatting about like she would see stuff as a, when I was a kid, and it would just so like whenever, spirits. Yeah, whenever the family would get together, they'd always tell these like weird occurrences that would happen. And there was one day, so my when my mum and dad were together, they're in the bathroom, and um, he was in the RAF, so he was posted in a particular uh, town. I think it was High Wycombe, and um, and I was a baby, and. Um, they were in the bathroom and the bath was running. And so the mirror was steaming up and there was this really weird silhouette of someone on a phone. And my mum said to my dad, um, we're going to, we're in for some bad news. We're going to get a phone call. And, and he was just like, Oh, Sue, stop that. And they, they scrubbed it off and then it reappeared. And then that night, my grandphone said that, um, his grandfather, his father had passed away. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was just like, and there was all these, so they, often they would share all these like weird stories. Like growing up and I remember, and I'd just be sat on the sofa, petrified <laughs> to go upstairs. And I was so scared of the dark and like, I was just well, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to know his stories. But um, definitely there was like a bit of a, I think, you know, I think what we've all got some like is a bit spiritual in all our families, but yeah. Oh yeah. But also did any rub off on you? Like you don't ever Apparently see Apparently I am. My mum was always saying like, so she'd go to a few um, different like uh, readers, I suppose. And they'd say, your son's very spiritual. I didn't really want to borrow it. I was a bit scared. I think you, you make a decision to either tap into that stuff. Yeah. You turn it um, off or not. And, you know, if the cooking falls over, maybe I'll open a stall <laughs> on the high street selling crystals and shit. But for now, I'm like, I'm pretty good. <laughs> no, I think this is working out for you. I think this is working out. Oh, yeah. do, you still, do, you, do you still have that piece of paper from Mark? It, it like, would be somewhere, it? yeah. I kind of, I've just, yeah. I'll try and find it. Yeah, see if you can find it. You should crazy. like put that on the he wall. Know, he knows about it as well. He does. He Did actually, he think it was weird? Um, yeah, he thought it was weird. Yeah. yeah. And then you said he actually, sorry, I cut you off. No, because he's seen, he, he's seen a few, a, a few thing, people as well. He's like seen a few people. And I remember one, there was a girl in Byron. It was when we were, we were really at ends of each other. We were just like ready to kill each other. And she saw someone that said, don't trust the guy. Don't trust the guy with the accent. <laughs> and it, which quite possibly was me at the time because I went to kill him. Yeah, and, yeah. And I was I'm sure the thing was mutual. Yeah. <laughs> but we're so honest. That was it. It's like this brotherly love where yeah. you just, you know, um, but I think, yeah, I, I, I think we're all quite open to alternative, you know, ideas, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Well, and um, I think living here, too, you just take it for granted. Certainly, I think you sort of have to, yeah. <laughs> Dream catchers hanging around my car. And, totally. But, um, yeah, I've, I've, got, I've got a sort of healthy respect for that stuff. But I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. But that was, um, but, that, but definitely that served me well. Just someone saying that, and it, was, it happened a few times where 
Yeah, we've really tried to do the right thing. Not even tried. I think it's just like mixed around with like like-minded people. Um, we we debate things, we argue about things, but I think deep down with you know decent human beings. And I think sometimes we are we're so out of our depth with even moving up here and taking on something as large as like opening a restaurant on a farm. That was massive for us to go from a tiny cafe. So a lot of people would kind of try and guide us throughout of this, I suppose, journey and just say, hey, like you, you've done this. Don't know how you guys have pulled this off, but you've so now you should really get serious about this or you're that or something. You know, and it's it's been we've been so fortunate throughout the years where people have just you know sort of guided us and you know never really had. I wish I'd had a bit of more of a mentor to be honest, but you know, um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't know where that was going. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no. Something that you said with that is just the um, the I don't know that all of our listeners they haven't all been to Byron Bay and just the how iconic the restaurant is there. I mean, it's it's one of the most iconic restaurants in Australia. And yeah. Well, I think it was. I think we're just really lucky. I think it was right place, right time. And it was. Did you work with directly with Emma and Tom Lane? Like, did they approach you, or how yeah. does that opportunity well, come so up? They, so they bought obviously bought that land, coming with that credit where credit's due. I know they get a lot of flack, but like it was amazing vision to have that, have a restaurant working with farmers that were on that land with other businesses. So I think they reached out to a number of people, um, but we were, I don't know, it was making waves is probably an exaggeration, but certainly. We had people talking about us in Sydney with yeah. regards to we were we were going to get a farm anyway. We're like we were, we were becoming so interested in growing food and as like, the three blue ducks, like yeah, as a, as so that let's group. just get some okay. property and grow. And, it, and then we're like, oh, we've got no money. It's going to be we don't really know much about farming, and it's just it was definitely on the back burner. It seemed like the next thing, and um and then Tom came down. I remember we, I remember the day he came down. He sat with us. And we were all there. As all we was, we were always just always there. Uh, you mean like sitting around in Bronte at the restaurant? We'd be on the or? tools. So I actually, believe it or not, I hasn't been for a while now, but Mark and I would be in the kitchen. You know, Jeff would be either behind the bar. Sam and Chris were on the floor. Chris was always the barista. Okay. And that was it. We were just all, and then Paul was upstairs on the computer pulling out his hair. And, and that was just day, like, and, and even if we weren't there, we'd just go in there and hang there on our days off. It was just such a, a awesome place. There yeah. was, Iggy's was down the road. The other side was just the beach. It was just beautiful. Little strip and planter boxes everywhere. It was just a, such a lovely time. And um, and Tom came in and, and sort of pitched this idea and said, look, I bought this 86-acre property in Byron and we're looking for some tenants to run a little cafe or a restaurant or something. And then um, at this time we were getting quite a few offers. Uh, so I think Mark and Jeff came up within the same week and I think we signed, we signed so quick, like within a month, within two months, we'd pretty much, we'd pretty much all moved up here because we knew it was such a massive opportunity, but we really needed to, we were aware of, like I've been at Byron for, since I moved to Australia. Yeah. And it was just always that beautiful holiday place, but quite transient. And I always heard this notion of people coming and taking from the area. And I didn't want to be one of those. I wanted to like, just come up, do it for the right reasons and, and be legit. So I'm like, I'm going to come and just, we'll live here for a couple of years and then just go between Sydney and Byron. And I think within within the first two months, I'm like, oh, this is it, this is home. Um, and so we spent a few months here just immersing ourselves in the culture and the markets. And we actually helped build the, like we didn't have much money. We'd, we built that place on the smell of an oily rag. Oh. So that the tables are still, yes, the same tables now. It was like a disused basketball court that we put for a fitness uh, 
um, all these little like stories about the place. Yeah, just because um, you were just kind of like just having to be super industrious. Yeah, yeah. And and we brought our, a few of our mates along, like Bernie, who was the carpenter. We knew him from Sydney. He was a mate of ours. The Bread Social Boys, we sort of introduced those guys. Okay. So we knew Paulie and then Sammy Solwick's a diehard local. He's one of my closest mates. And Tom. And so they came and did Bread Social and just what well, they just went crazy. Like this, they're I mean, the best bakery in Northern Rivers now. They're oh, just Bread Social's amazing. amazing. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and then even like Roscoe, the, <laughs> all these little, like Roscoe the Sparky. So he moved up with his family and Roscoe helped us when we, when we opened Bronte and Rosebury. And, uh, and he, he did it for nothing. So, because we had no money, we basically gave him a little key ring and we made him a Ducks for Life, which means he never has to pay for a meal again. <laughs> <laughs> and then. So, Wait, who, who got the better end of that deal, though? Well, what well, do you that, think? So, yes, now we have to pay him because he's like, he's like, at some point, he's like, guys, it's a lot of flat whites. Like, yeah, yeah. You've got to start paying me now. And so now we do. And it's, a, and it's just so lovely to see. Like, you know, I've known these guys for so many years. I mean, the Ducks know for like Mark over 20. Like, even Roscoe, he did some stuff at my house the other day. And it's just like, I'm so proud to see people grow and they've got their own families now. And, you know, we, and we're sort of a part of this fabric, you know, of Byron. And they're still all scallywags, do you know what I mean? But um, it's just it's just really lovely to see and be a part of. But yeah, but but Tom and Emma approached us, and you know we we set that up, we opened the doors, and I don't think we've ever been in the weeds. So in the weeds is the first day we looked at that car park and like, I can imagine when that's full, like maybe two or three years, and word gets out, and it was Easter weekend, and that thing was full and some, and we I I reckon we're probably about twenty five staff short of what we should have had, and um. You know, Jeff and I almost had a fist fight, and like it was just so, on the was, first day. There was just so much. There was so much stress. <laughs> yeah, because this thing, like, not even financially, but just doing the right thing and making it work, and not looking stupid. And yeah, we were so, we just wanted the food to be so legit and tasty. And you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think there was a single dish costed for about the first four years. Like, it just didn't matter. We just wanted to do something that we could stand behind. And um, yeah, and that was it. And so the so the farm opened, and obviously there's. N- never without its problems with council and obviously you know Tom and Emma the, the whole thing. But I think you know fundamentally, I think everyone you know it, it worked. We made it work. Yeah, you know, and it just. Um, but I think I think we were very fortunate. I think the style of food we're, we're doing that sort of farm to table thing, even Byron itself, you know, to, to be on that roundabout on the way there. I think if, if it had happened ten years earlier, it probably been wouldn't been as successful. Okay. And so yeah, so we look, we were very we we were fortunate anyway. And then there was Yeah, but yeah, you're right. And, and just interesting people. There's this like m- massive um music culture. So you've got the festivals that come in. So you've got, I don't know, Jack Johnson or Russell Brand in there. And you've got all these like Russell um, Brand's come in. Ama- well, yeah, Russell Brand, I had breakfast with Russell Brand. Oh, you did? Awesome like he guy. just popped in or well, Max knows his missus. Okay. Yes. And he was and I'm a massive fan, like I'm such a um Really shy when, like, I get really starstruck with these, like, uh, Josh Homie came in for okay. Queen's Donation. You, oh, you yeah. just don't want to be that guy. Like, I just want them to have a good time. I just want them to enjoy themselves and not – I think that's one thing we do really well in Byron. Like, love it or hate it. We, if people come up here, they tend to be left alone. Yeah. Like, it's not like L.A. where it's, like, selfie, every street corner and stuff. It's like – and I think I think that's, that's pretty cool. People just be themselves and they're with their kids and, like, they can just um, – but yeah, um, Mags knows Russell's uh, partner, so I, I sat down with him and just spoke about I don't know, all bo- like Joe Rogan and Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> okay, and, cool. And it was just before COVID actually, and, oh. I, and he was supposed to come down. I trained at the academy, and um, which is Talison Saws there, and he's he's um, an incredible, 
Like he's amazing. Who's Talison Soros? What Talison does he do? Talison Soros is he's a black belt and he's won uh, like a gold medal in all belts. This is quite unique. Oh. So, yeah. So he's just incredibly, we're so lucky to have this guy who's an instructor in, in Byron. And he's still there. He's gone. No, he's still there. So he runs the, so he runs the academy. So I was just, and it's, it's, it's got a bit of a following now. Okay. So I was trying to get Russell down. So I said, mate, come down. I'll lend you a gi. And it was all like, oh, and I was like, oh, I'm going to train with Russell Brand. And um, COVID hit and he had to, had to fly back. No. But anyway. Yeah, it was close. Dropping. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not name dropping, but that's what happens here. That's you're absolutely it, it, right. Yeah, we just love these like yeah, sort of yeah. all these colorful characters, sort of characters that walk through and often, yeah, even some of like the locals where they just you know, they're in thongs, sometimes no shoes and just you just wouldn't know that they're sometimes some most influential people either in media or music or you know, nothing. I, I think that's really cool. It's not despite perception you know, and I'm sure, you know, there's influence and stuff everywhere, but isn't that showboaty? No, You know, certainly where we are, we're just a, a cafe with a bakery, essentially in a tent shed, doing some decent food, you know, good service and booze and stuff, but it's not this like slick kind of sceney, you know, it really isn't because that's not where we're about. No. Um, well, I don't, and, I don't and, think and I Byron think, is that either. You know, I think we, is, get, we get a bad rap. I think we do. And I, and I think, look, I think people, it's probably what's written about sometimes. I don't think it couldn't be further from the truth. It really, when you speak to the, the people, whether they're locals or whether they're just people that are traveling, they've got a respect for this for this land. But I definitely think it's something that you, you know, my mum asked me about that. You know, they see these they see the shows and it's like glittery sort of shites. And you go, it's just not, that's not, our exposure we're just i just don't see that stuff you know i'm 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 more like kids drop offs a swim in the morning you know what i mean <laughs> yeah totally well like you know a women a beer at the river <laughs> and go home to bed i mean you know it's not really no. <laughs> driving around in convertibles taking i don't know anyway well and it's like women with like no makeup on and their hair like yeah like salty from the ocean and i love and, and i just and i love, love that. that i remember some and, it, and actually being with going back to mags like that was her life it was just this you know it's that's Sydney, you kind of, you, and it's great. It's like dress up, heels, the hair, the makeup, whatever. But the, the bags that I just fell in love with was that kind of on the beach in thongs with no makeup. You know, just like I just like doing a crossword. I, lo- I love that. I think it's beautiful. And I think that, I think we encourage that in this area. You know, yeah. just you walk down the road with no shoes on, you know, maybe in parts of Sydney, maybe in Paddington in Sydney, you're probably going to get looked at funny. But, like, yeah. <laughs> but here, no, it's normal. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, no, yeah. I, that's why I wouldn't, my husband and I both have said we wouldn't go back to LA just because. Really? Yeah, just because it's so, well, we have two little girls, right? And yeah. so raising girls here, I think is just so powerful because the women are so natural. Yeah. The the whole vibe is just like, you know, my, my daughter goes to school and she doesn't have to be all super dressed up. She can go in like a ripped T-shirt, and yeah. and she's seven, going on eight. And I remember that age, and it's like the kids. It was so different, you know. But yeah. here, it's just she can go without brushing her hair, <laughs> you know. It's just I just love that that people are accepted here in their natural state. Yeah, you know. I think without sound to woo woo, I think I, d- I definitely think being close to the ocean really helps. Yeah. You've seen that in a lot of towns that have that connection with the ocean. You just you know you, you spend a day at the beach, you come out, and just like. I don't think it really matters that much. Whereas if you're in cities and shopping centers and advertising and whatever, there's just that different keeping up with the Joneses vibe or something. It's just, oh, yeah. a, you, you know. Totally. It's like, yeah. And here, like my car is like scratched up. It's got sand in it and food. And I'm yeah. just like, who cares? <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> there's like, my husband's like, should we get a new car? I'm like, no, why? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't like, it's just not yeah. as pretentious as people think. So yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I think, my um, pleasure. yeah, it's been, 
I've loved hearing more about your story. And again, this was like a, a, an opportunity that I hoped that I would get, but I didn't think that it would come about the way that it did. And so just having you here, sharing your energy and your story and hearing more about your, your partner, Magdalena, and I, I actually am going to reach out to her. Her story sounds yeah. so fascinating. Hers is actually very interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yours is too. <laughs> yours is too. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. My intention is always that you leave feeling inspired in some way, in a better mood. You have that bit of courage to, to take action on whatever it is that you're wanting to create right now that idea that's been brewing in the back of your mind for the last six months or six years. It's all about just taking little steps each day. So hopefully this gave you a bit of motivation to do that. If you enjoyed the episode and want to stay up to date with the happenings of the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple. We're also on iHeartRadio now. And you can also leave us a review in your app. It's a great way to show your support for the show And as always, have a beautiful day and until next week.